This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew, reading from Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 19. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. The Gospel of the Lord. Good evening. So here we are in the middle of Lent and we're in a series on the practices or spiritual disciplines. And so far we've had an opportunity to think about um, the practice of submission, of worship, of service. And tonight we're going to talk a little bit about the practice or discipline of giving. Now, even as we get going, I need to just say, did you know that there are 2,350 verses in the Bible about money and our attitude towards money? That's a heck of a lot. And there's also uh, nearly half of Jesus' parables are about money and our attitude to it and about giving. 10% of the verses in the Gospels are also about money. So one way or another, the Bible talks about money a whole lot. Jesus talked about money more than he talked about anything else. So in a book which is really about the relationship between God and his people, I find it fascinating that money takes such a high priority. But I think it's for one simple reason, that God knows that money has a strange hold over us. And if we are going to love him with all our hearts, then we have to address the way that we approach money. Now, even as I've said this evening, we're going to talk about giving Giving, of course, can uh, refer to so many things. We give up our time, we give up our talents, we give up our money. And so in some ways it's somewhat limited this evening, simply talking about the way that we give money. 
And But much of the things that I'm going to say are principles which can be extrapolated into giving all sorts of things. So first of all, why we give, and then a few answer a few, few questions about how we give. So to begin with, why does God talk such a lot about money, and what does he want us to do about that? Well, I think God wants us to look at money in three different ways. I think he wants to look at it as, at as a way, the way that we give as a way to reflect our love of him. Secondly, our trust of him. And thirdly, our desire to get involved with him in the work that he is doing in the world. So what about this thing about God and our relationship, our love relationship with him? in the Bible again, it talks so often about how people can give offerings to God as a way of showing their response to him and their gratitude and their love for him. But one of the first stories in the Bible about people who give is a story in Genesis 4. And it's a story about two brothers, Cain and Abel, and they were both farmers. And as was seemed appropriate as they came to their harvest, each of them brought of their first fruits to God and made an offering to him one of animals and one of crops. And there's this rather alarming verse. In verse 4 it says, And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. What's all that about? What is it that means that we can make an offering to God and yet still uh, he might either accept it or reject it? Well, as you read on in the story, it becomes apparent that Cain is an angry young man and he lands up murdering his brother and being exiled. God knew Cain's heart and he knew Cain's heart when he offered up to him his first fruits. He knew that he wasn't doing it out of love for God. Not sure exactly why he was doing it, but perhaps he wanted to manipulate God or he was wanting to look good. The ways we offer our gifts to God is indicative of how we're loving him. Because to be honest, God doesn't need our gifts. They don't make him feel better about himself or further his prospects. But he delights in our gifts and he uses them to further his kingdom in the world as well as to help us worship him individually and collectively. God loves it when we give out of our love for him. And he knows that there is a battle in our hearts for what we will allow to dominate our decision-making whether we're going to turn to him in love or to our bank balances. And as we read a minute ago in the gospel, there is something powerful about the hold that money has on us. Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God puts his finger right on it, that our wallets, our money, our purses have the ability to just capture our hearts. And so Jesus goes on to say that no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus reminding us that we all serve somebody or something and that our sense of security can be deeply wrapped up in our finances. So Jesus invites us, when we're feeling insecure, turn to our Father who loves us, to find our identity and our relationship with him. And so when we give, God sees our hearts and our intentions, and he charges us then to not be anxious, to give without fear, to give without anxiety. 
That Matthew passage, did you notice all the adjectives in it? It's love, hate, despise, anxious, devoted, all really, really powerful words with strong emotions. Money has that ability to just bring up in us all kinds of fears. So, okay, if you're going to be frightened about something, what do you do about your anxiety? You know, I remember way back when, when I was first pregnant with my first child, and had gotten near to my due date, or beyond my due date, in fact, and I, I became increasingly convinced that I was going to die in childbirth. And I was getting very anxious about it. So every day I made myself go out and spot people with babies and kind of go, well, they lived through it and they lived through it and they lived through it until just reminding myself that normal things happen normally and that giving birth was actually not going to be, I mean, so awful. And sometimes with our anxieties, we just need to look at them and assess them against what is real and what is true. So be practical. Look at your anxiety. Are you going to starve if you give? Will you be naked? Will you be homeless? All very, very unlikely. But anxieties tend to hover at the edge of our perception. So we have to grip them firmly and look at them. And then once we've tackled our anxiety, once we've responded in love to God with our offering, God gives us the invitation to join with him. And giving reflect our participation in the furtherance of the kingdom of God. Did you notice at the beginning of that passage from Exodus 25 that we heard a few minutes ago? Did you notice the way that God talks about our offerings? He invites his people to join with him in the construction of the tabernacle. Building the sanctuary is going to be a joint effort between man and God. God is going to provide the plans and the ideas. And they're going to provide the wherewithal to make it happen. God shows that he relishes beauty and extravagance and sumptuous colors and fabrics. And that sanctuary was made with high attention to detail and beauty. God showing his creativity and his generosity and inviting responses of generosity and delight in return. But, note... God doesn't tell individuals how much to bring or what to bring. or He invites them to come as their hearts are moved, to respond out of all they have by giving a portion back, to partner with him. So it says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel, that they may take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. And that list, which God then itemizes, starts out with some money, gold, silver, bronze. But then he goes on to list yarns, which have been spun out of fine hair and carefully dyed, beautiful colors, skins that have been tanned and preserved, anointing oil, spices, fragrances, prepared in kitchens, over stoves, harvested, winnowed, filtered, and then ready for use. Even items which are not permanent and are largely unseen, but they're the necessary ingredients for making the space fragrant and clean, well-lit. And the object of all this generosity is to create a place where God can dwell with them. It's going to be a space of relationship where the people can meet with God and he with them, a place of conversation, a place of family. And this wasn't just true in the Old Testament. God still calls us to be involved in working with him in the extension of his kingdom. He does it in asking us to prepare a tabernacle, to make a space, to facilitate corporate worship where we can worship him and where we can invite others to come into a relationship with him. 
And he invites us in the extension of his kingdom and care for the widow, the poor, and the orphans to look for the extension of the kingdom of God, to look for economic justice, to look for um, all the ways that we can make this world a more fair place. So why do we give? We give because it's a measure of our love of God and our response to him. We give because it's an indication of our trust for God, that he's not going to let us go. And we give as a provision for the furtherance of God's kingdom, a building of his church, the bride of Christ here and now. Okay, so those are some reasons for giving. But then there are always questions afterwards about, well, what do we give and how much and why and where and when? Well, giving, first of all, as I said at the beginning, can be of many things, including our time. Isn't it lovely that Lent is like a tithe of the year? So how do you decide what you're going to do to give to the church? What would that look like? So we give to the church because it's a means by which God has established worship for himself. And it means the church then has a responsibility to see God's kingdom extended in the world. Okay, you say, well, I hear an awful lot in the Bible about tithing. Should I tithe? Well, yes, it's true. There's a lot in the Bible about all sorts of offerings, including tithes. And as I read the Old Testament and then again the New Testament, the sense I get is that God isn't too hung up on the 10%. He invites us to be generous. He invites us to give liberally. But he also asks us to be accountable. And you will notice that when the Israelites have promised 10%, when they don't give 10%, God challenges them on that. And in the New Testament, Jesus in Matthew 23, 23, talks to the Pharisees and he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Jesus doesn't say don't tithe, but he says you need to tie tie together your tithing, your giving, your offerings with looking for justice in the world as well. So Jesus doesn't insist on us following a letter of the law, but he says give and more look for justice. And so there are lots of ways you can look at this. For me, well, um, it has helped to have some kind of guidelines in my life. So as a child, I was encouraged to tithe my pocket money. When I became a student, I mean, I was dirt poor, as students often are. And I remember asking for advice about this. And the wise advice I was given in response was, uh, if you can tithe now, do it, or give anything. But I was told tithe, uh, because it's going to be much harder as you get richer. And funnily enough, giving more does get harder often if, as you get more money. Um, and that's something you need to pay attention to. Later on in our church life, there were, we went to a church where there was a lot of teaching which said start with 10% for the church, then give 10% to missions, and in addition have a line item for various other items or things you want to give. Our bishop, in fact, has talked about in his church, before he became a bishop, every year they increased their church's giving until at last they were giving about 50%, which is what he'd hoped for. I feel like Jesus is much more of a 50% guy when he says, if you've got two coats, give one away. So giving a tithe could just be your base point. 
I know another family where they said, okay, at the beginning of their married life, they were giving 10%, and they said, we are going to increase this by a half a percent or a 1% every single year until we're giving up to 50%. I've heard of other people who start with a tithe and then say, well, um, as I get richer, I'm going to live on the same amount and give all the extra. I would love our church to become a church which increases the amount that we give year by year. It's a good place to start with a tithe. But think about how you're going to extend that. How are you going to push that? But remember, remember, these are guidelines. As God said to the Israelites, give us your hearts are moved. Paul says something similar in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And he goes on and talks about how grace, as we give, God abounds with grace towards us. He tells us how God will supply our seed to the sower and bread for food, and how he will multiply our seed and increase the harvest of our righteousness, and that we will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And so finally, I'm going to give you six quick tips about giving. And the first one starts with that verse from Paul. Be cheerful and be thanks. give thanksgiving. We can be so grateful. You know, we are living... As the richest people in the richest part of the world, we have so much, no matter how poor we are or feel we are. We are rich. We have been given liberally by our good Father. And it's important for us to remember that however hard we work, it is God who gives everything that we have. So number one is be grateful. You have been given much. Number two, be generous. Whatever you do, Do it and be delighted in it. Enjoy the adventure of being part of what God is doing in and through his church, the Bride of Christ. Henry Nouwen talks beautifully about how when we give to the church, we're enabling community, a place where we can invite people in for friendship, prayer, peace, love, fidelity, affection, ministry for those in need, and all those things that are so valuable that people are willing to make the resources available. We want to be people who can provide for others. Be real. Number three, don't try and kid yourself. If you give cash, make a note of it. Add it up. Know your income. Know your giving. Decide how much is right for you to give and then give it. Studies have shown that everybody thinks they are more generous than they actually are. So keep records. It's tax season. You've probably written down recently how much you give. You can see how much you earn. Look at the numbers. And decide. It can be useful, actually, to decide on a percentage. It can be useful to decide on a percentage which you increase every year. Work it out. Have a look at it. Evaluate. See what you can manage on. See what you want to give to God. Push yourself to be a little bit uncomfortable. And then to pay attention. Reassess periodically, at least annually. So be real. Fourthly, I encourage you to be transparent. Think about telling somebody else your decision. We in this church don't ask for pledges and we're not going to. 
But you might want to tell somebody else. If you are in a household which pools your wealth, then you will probably be doing this already. But if you're not, why not invite somebody else to look at your checkbook, to look at your accounts, to look at the way you spend your money? This isn't a place for shame or embarrassment. It's just a shame place for reality. Remembering that we all have to respond as our hearts dictate. It's funny, you know, we live in a culture which is more secretive about money than almost any other culture I've ever come across. If you go to most places in Africa, for example, the whole community will know what everybody earns, what their expenditure is, how rich they are, how many cattle they have or whatever. And there's a much more communal attitude towards the money which comes into the community. It'll go to the person with the greatest need. So maybe invite somebody else to look at your figures. And let me put in a little proviso here. All of us at some point in our lives struggle with money. We might struggle with its hold on us, or we might just struggle with managing it. We might struggle with not having enough, with having too much debt, with not knowing how to cope day by day. Please don't feel in any way condemned by everything I've said, but get somebody else alongside you to look at those numbers. If you come and ask me, I will find you somebody who kindly and confidentially will help you to look at your bank balances, help you to look at your income and expenditure. There are ways to love and encourage one another, to learn good habits of money management. So please, don't suffer in silence. If you're anxious about your money, ask me. Ask one of us and we will help you to find a way to get on top of it and for you to let it be subjected to you rather than something which controls you. And as you give to incarnation, my commitment to you is that we will look carefully at every penny we spend. Giving your money away to somebody else to spend can feel kind of hard to begin with, but it's actually kind of a relief. But I promise you that as I make any expenditure or receipt anything at Incarnation, I always wonder, how is this money earned? How is it given? I've got a dear, dear friend, and I know she gives generously to the church. um, And I always picture her, and I think, would she approve of the way that I'm spending this money? Is this money being spent well in the furtherance of God's kingdom? We take our stewardship of the money which is given to Incarnation very, very seriously. We have great finance teams, great committees who help us to look about it after. So I encourage you to trust us as you give. Fifthly, be active. Okay, this is, I'm just going to sort of throw this one in here. At Incarnation, we haven't really worked out what our voice is in looking for economic justice in our community and society. Will you pay attention to that for me? And will you let me know if you can think of places where we ought to be get involved? Are there things we ought to stand for or say? I want us to be a church which has a voice for the kingdom of God. We want this to be a place. We want Arlington to be a place where people can live and thrive. How? What's our role in that? And finally, be joyful. Oh my goodness, giving is such a way to... Be free from so many things. So be grateful that God wrote like a huge chunks of the Bible dedicated to talking about our money. He wants us to be free from being controlled by it and free to give it and free to enjoy it. Whatever you do, 
do it with a good conscience. Do it in consultation with the Holy Spirit and then be delighted. Be delighted that God sees you, he knows you, he loves you, and he's also going to reward you. Uh, So if you're reward-motivated, you're in a really good place. Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. For the Son of Man will reward each person according to what they have done. Generosity, like kindness, can be learnt, developed, practised, and comes as an outpouring of our love for God. And so finally, Henry Nouwen, bless him, talking about money, concludes that the way we grow in our generosity is to deepen our prayer life. Next week, Megan is going to ask us to consider our practices of prayer. But meanwhile, Nouwen says, as our prayer deepens into a constant awareness of God's goodness, the spirit of gratitude grows within us. Gratitude flows from the recognition that who we are and what we have are gifts to be received and shared. Gratitude releases us from the bonds of obligation and prepares us to offer ourselves freely and fully for the work of the kingdom. God has given us what we need for life and abundance and so that we can remain secure in God's love with our hearts set joyfully on the kingdom. Amen.